This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. It is Tuesday, January 14, 2020. And we're in the third week, third trading week of the new year. And as you know, that means we're going to see some earnings reports. We're into earnings season. I haven't talked about that much because there's a lot of things going on, but we are into earnings season. And we've seen already a lot of volatility in the markets. It's reached new highs, it's fallen back. But I don't think that's any outsized volatility. It hasn't been like really crazy, just volatility. Now, throughout the past year, Justin and I spent a good deal of time helping to get your investment strategies aligned with your risk tolerance and performance objectives. It's what we do. It's what we're trying to do on this radio show anyways. And it's an ongoing process, and we'll keep working toward that goal. And everybody's goal is the same, financial freedom. And I'm glad you're listening today. You are in good company. For each of the last four months of 2019, we counted up our podcast listeners, the downloads, averaged about 450000 each month. So you're part of that, and we're so happy that you told your friends and family members and about Vestalk and the downloadable podcast, and we want to thank you. Thank you very much. I'm Steve Peasley, and I hope you'll call me with your investing questions. This is a call-in show, and you drive it wherever you want to take it with your financial questions. And of course, it's the goal is always the same. It's been the same for the last 20 years, and that's financial freedom. And this means we want to make you a better investor. That's what this show is about. Try to help you become a better investor. Understand how the market works. Why does it go down when things look good? Or why does it go up when things look bad? Why does that stock do X, Y, Z? Um, and we're, you know, there's always reasons. There is a reason. You just got to learn the language of the market. That's all. And that's not impossible. And eventually, you'll get to see why, and you understand why, and you get smarter and smarter and smarter. That's the goal. So, and you know, I've scheduled a couple of consultation days, road trips, in less than two weeks. On Friday, January 24th, I will be in Dallas. It's a pretty tight schedule, but I still have a slot open. And if I have to, I think I'm flying in pretty early on Thursday. I can meet you Thursday afternoon, too, if possible. If uh, if it's totally full on Friday, that's in Texas, in Dallas area, no costs, no obligation, portfolio reviews, and then due to the strong demand, I will be returning to New York City on January 28th and 29th. That's a Tuesday and a Wednesday in the dead of winter in New York City. Hmm, kind of looking forward to. It, to be honest, I live in Southern California. It's always warm. I'm kind of looking forward to be cold. I know that sounds wrong, huh? <laughs> Like, what's wrong with me? But my wife is, too. She was born and raised in Southern California. I was actually born in Seattle, but I was raised in Southern California. But I did spend nine years on the East Coast in the New York City area, so I know how it's like. But, you know, so I just let it mind you, 28th and 29th, uh, so Tuesday, Wednesday in New York City, if you want to meet with me, you you can all you have to do is go to KPP Financial or, or investtalk.com, send me a contact contact note, send me an email, give me a call. Anyway, there's lots of ways to get a hold of me. Just go to investtalk.com. 
So it's all about helping you get your asset portfolio balanced, optimized as best you can, and our personalized KPP financial consultations are no cost, no obligation. So we'd like you to come, like to meet with me. I would. My main talking point today concerns this opinion from a noted economist looking ahead this decade, this decade he's we're talking about right now, 2020 to 2030, will be the roaring 20s for stock. That's what his opinions are. The stock market, he thinks it's going to be roaring 20s. And he, that's a very optimistic assessment. I'm not sure I agree with him. But this fellow, you know, he's smart. This fellow believes the economy will do well. So stocks are set to perform well for investors. And I'll give you my take on that theory. We'll, we'll talk about that, beat that around a little bit. <clears throat> I don't know. Anyways, I got some interesting talking points myself that I think we should talk about. What is Apple going to do with all the cash they have? I want to talk about that. And... Housing in 2020, we've talked about this in different ways and shapes, and I'm going to talk about it again. Housing is a very integral part, very important part of our economy, of the perception of the consumers of their wealth, their well-being. That's why I talk about it quite often, housing. So we're going to talk about that. And do you know what country in the world is the happiest country? This is according to 1,000 residents in a Gallup poll, 1,000 residents in each one of these countries. It's a Gallup poll. Which comp- country is number one? Where does the U.S. stand? And it's out of 156 countries that they surveyed. Which one's which one's the happiest? I don't know if you'll be surprised about that or not. We'll see. Let's go to Lucy's in Texas. He has a, what is, who is Louise? Lewis? Lewis, how you doing? This is Steve. Steve hi, thank you. Do you have a question? Uh, thank you. For, yes, uh, thank you for taking my you call. Um, I have a you question are. for uh, us new, uh, new investors who are not very familiar with the terminology. Um, I hear okay. the term QE, QE quantitative easing, uh, thrown uh-huh. around a lot. Uh, I was wondering if okay. you could explain that and how, how will that affect us? Sure. That's 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 a good question. That's a very good question. And yeah, you got to be careful about us people on the radio or people writing writing uh, articles or on TV throwing out these these terms that you know a common person doesn't run across very hard. QE, quantitative easing. That's what it stands for. For QE. Whenever you hear the term QE, think of the Federal Reserve. Okay, because they're the ones that participates in what's called quantum easing. What that means is, is they're making money easier, easier to borrow, easier to put more, they're putting more money in the system because they want to boost the system. Whenever you hear the word QE, that's a central government, central central banker, you know, central banker of a country trying to loosen the, the purse strings of the economy. How do they do that? Well, the most common way is they buy mortgages, loans from the banks. The, the Federal Reserve actually goes to the bank and say, hey, we'd like to buy some of your mortgages. 
buy some of your uh, loans that you have out there. Well, what does that do? Well, if they buy some from the from the banks, they buy mortgages, that puts more money, cash, in the bank's hands. And the bank wants to do, you know, they want to loan it out. So now they have this cash. They sold off some loans to the government. And now they got these this cash. And what are they going to do with it? Well, they're looking to lend it out. Generally, QE drives down interest rates, drives down interest rates. So when you hear the term quantitative easing, that just means that the central bank of that country or the whole EU, that means the, the central bank is trying to pump money into the system to get their economy going. They're afraid that it's going to start to shrink or is already shrinking. Does that, that expand, Lewis? You understand? Yes, but how that does that affect us? Um, okay, how does it affect nope. you and me? Or how does it affect the stock market? Okay, think about this. When the government's buying these bonds and the banks have all this money and they're competing for more loans out there, it drives down the loan cost. So the mortgage rate goes down. The mortgage rates go down. The banks loaning to other companies, that rate goes down. So that the money's cheaper for everybody. So how does that help? Some of that money they have, they buy stocks with it. They put it in the stock market or they buy bonds with it. And of course, that makes the stock market go up because they have that money. They got to do something with it. So that's how it helps everybody. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley, and we present this program with five new shows each week, Monday through Friday. And it's broadcast and streamed live in the 4 o'clock hour Pacific time. And now I'm taking your questions live, 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener. You may even have called a few times. But if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open, and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Great. 888-992-4278. Love to talk to you. Give me a call. Looking ahead, is there a stock that will likely be embattled for the affordable future? A big stock? Yeah. How about Boeing? If you're an investor of Boeing, Boeing's troubles are not over. Now, we're all aware of the continuing crisis that Boeing has with a 737 MAX 8 jet, right? We know all about that from last year, bought problems. Boeing's uh, replaced their CEO, um, Dennis Mullenberg, because the board felt that he couldn't handle this problem, resolve this problem. Because 737 MAX 8 is still a problem. Still, not, And they're talking about it might take another year before it gets on you know, it gets resolved. Don't That seems like an awful long time. In the meantime, for 2019 sales period, as of December 31st, Boeing reported a delivery of 380 planes. That's how many they delivered. Now, Delta has gained as rivals Southwest, United, American Airlines have all been forced to trim their schedules because of the 737 MAX 8. They started this last March, this problem. This is probably not good news for Boeing. Now they did, yeah, they got 737 planes. They got, no, I'm sorry, they did not 700, how many? They have, a, a, they had a lot of planes sold, right? 
So 768 planes. But it's still a problem. Big problem. Anyways. 888-99-CHART is our number. Uh, let's talk about um, this uh, opinion that the, this Peter Morosi, Morosi has. He's a big economist. He thinks that the next 10 years is going to be like the Roaring Twenties from 1920 to 1930. Of course, you realize what? Well, follow the Roaring Twenties. Uh, <laughs> that was the Great Depression. But he thinks we're going to be we're in a phase now in the next. 10 years or so, uh, that we're going to have a huge growth in our economy and our stock market. Why does he say that? Why? Two, two things, artificial intelligence and 5G. Now, he thinks they're going to unleash huge jumps in, uh, in productivity, which always, always improves everybody's standard of living. So, he, he's he's. He's thinking that that's going to produce workers will produce more, but in gen, but in generally less strenuous circumstances. Okay, uh, overcrowding, pollution will 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 not be a problem going forward because populations, which is the main producer of more and more pollution and more and more stress, producing food and populations are are going to flatten, plateau, flatten. They're already doing that. He also thinks that electric cars or renewable power will be a big game changer in the next 10 years, producing more different kinds of jobs. He thinks commodity prices and energy will be manageable. Capital, money will be uh, will not be constrained like it was early in the later 20th century. He thinks more capital, more people saving more money, and all that money gets put back in the system. And he's all very upbeat about this stuff. So that's his opinion. Is it is it true? Well, we won't know, right? No one really knows. But he's named some of the major uh, drivers of our economy coming up. On the next Invest Talk, U.S. listed emerging markets ETFs are typically helped by positive news on the trade front. So, could a U.S. trade China trade deal boost certain groups of exchange traded funds? That story is going to be tomorrow. But for now, I'm Steve Peasen. I'm ready to take your questions at eight 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 ninety nine chart. Looking at the calendar, we are now less than two weeks away from Steve Peasley's Dallas, Texas consultation trip. That'll be on January 24th. And then Steve will travel to New York City for portfolio review consultations on January 28th and 29th. You can learn more and register now at investtalk.com. Okay, let's go talk to Tim in Walnut Creek. How you doing, Tim? Doing well. How about you, Steve? Thank you for taking my call. I am. Uh, I am doing great. I really appreciate it. Had a had a good weekend, so I'm I'm all set for the week. Great, awesome. Same here. So uh, my question is about mortgages. Um, I'm looking for one, and I other than the rates for whatever specific type of mortgage you want. So, for example, fixed fifteen year. So I I know yes. I know to shop for a specific rate. There's something else to look at. I know some of the companies or the banks would uh, offer, for example, no closing costs or something like this. But it sounds too good to be true. Um, so what do you, what else? Well, other than the specific, what else do you look for? 
Okay. Yeah. There's a, you know, they're 15 year fix, 30 year fix or, or 15 year adjustable, you know, 20 year adjustable. There's all those, but, and they give you a quote. Now, when they say there's no closing costs, the truth is there are closing costs, but what they're going to do is charge you another tenth of a point or, you know, another hundred, maybe 200 basis points. I don't know exactly what added to your mortgage. In other words, you could have got a 3.25 year, 15 year mortgage, but it's going to be 3.35. That's how they cover the closing costs. Okay. It's cheaper to pay the closing costs, cheaper to pay the closing costs and to roll it into your mortgage with another tenth of a percent on your mortgage. Because that tenth of a percent lasts the life of your loan. That adds up to a lot more money. But that's how they sneak it in. They always get it, Tim. Don't think they don't. They do. So um, if you go to bankrate.com, bankrate.com, it's a great place to figure out what banks are offering the cheapest rates. Okay, they do. You can get CD rates and everything else, but also mortgage rates there. It's a good website to check out. Tim, appreciate the call. Good call. Thank you. 888 charts, 888 So what is Apple going to do with all the cash that they have? Well, what did they do with the cash this last year? Well, they spent some of it. Well, this is what they spent. They spent $14.1 billion in dividends. They have about a what? A 1% dividend yield? Is that what it is? Well, it was a little higher than that, but the stock price has gone up so much, now it's, you know, 1%. Okay, they, so $14 billion in dividends and $67 billion in buybacks. Now, what, how does that help you as a you know, owner, of the, owner, owner of the company, owner of the stock? Well, they take, they're taking stock out of the float. In other words, earnings per share will go up. So your earnings per share goes up when there's less and less stocks on the float. So what's better, dividend or buybacks? Many people will say dividends. I tend to say buybacks. And one of the reasons being is taxes. When you get a dividend, you're going to be taxed. Buybacks theoretically increase your earnings per share and then pushes the stock price up. So if the stock price goes up, that means you're making more money. And you can always sell a share or two if you want money, right? You can sell the stock and pay the long-term capital gains rate on that sale. But at, generally speaking, the long-term capital gains rate on the sale of a stock is less than the taxes on the dividend that you have to pay. Now, I can't say that flat and say, oh, it always is that way. Because it's not. Because there's a lot of things. Your, earning, your, your salary becomes a big issue or what tax rate you're in. And, you know, make sure it's long-term versus short-term. You know, things come into to play that makes a difference. But in general, I'm talking about if you're going to if you're going to take more money in a dividend or more money in a buyback, which would be better? In my opinion, and you might get a different opinion on this, it will be always be the buybacks. The buyback is better. So Apple is probably going to continue both their dividend and their, and their buyback program into this year. And but if you think about it, buying buybacks when the stock now is at $312 you know, maybe you're overpaying for the stock, you know, stock price. That's, you know. So I have a feeling they probably will increase their dividend. And I think they will also increase their buybacks. 
I think that's what they're going to do with some of that money. You know what? But it still leaves a huge cash hoard. I don't know if they can ever, in the foreseeable future, spend that money. How? They'd have to get into a whole different branch of business. I'm talking about, you know, the Apple Play and buy maybe one of the big uh, studios out there so they can have content. You know, maybe buy two of them. They have the cash. They can buy whatever the heck they want. I mean, we're talking about Apple's at one point, almost $1.4 trillion in size. $1.389.3 trillion in size. And as I said before, that's bigger than most countries in the world. One company. Okay. Okay. We have uh, got a break coming up and I have a trivia question for you. Five super companies make up a large percentage of the total value of the S&P 500. They made up most of the return last year. Five companies. Can you name the companies? And do you know their combined valuation percentage of the S&P 500? I'll have the answer after the break. But now we are taking your market and financial questions live. 888-99-CHART. Numbers are elusive. It's about 5% of my overall portfolio. They're always changing. I have uh, about like $3,000, I would say. On InvestTalk, the focus is on numbers that affect our listeners. We took uh, 20% out to buy a property, investment property. InvestTalk listeners know it's all about the numbers. Am I going to get cheaper mortgage rates if I wait till the end of the year? So the questions keep coming. Let's talk to Cindy in San Jose. How are you doing, Cindy? Hi, Steve. Thank you for taking my call. From every part of America. I wanted to ask you guys about adding to my positions in these two names right now. Should I sell it and take the profit? Steve Peasley and Justin Klein analyze the complex patterns in those numbers and do their very best to decipher the potential meanings. Really learned a lot from you guys. Independent thinking, shared success. InvestTalk.com This is InvestTalk. And now more than ever, you need unbiased investing guidance. Steve is here. He's taking your calls live. Step up with your questions now. 888-99-CHART. Okay. Remember, we asked a trivia question before the break. So what did I ask? I said, five super companies make up a large percentage of the total value of the S&P 500. These companies drive the S&P 500. They have for a few years now. Can you name the companies? And do you know their combined valuation percentage of the S&P 500? Here they are. You can probably guess. I'm sure you can guess. The companies make up 18% of the S&P 500 valuation listed in order they are they are the these are the companies microsoft founded april 14 1975 44 years ago okay apple founded april 1st 1976 amazon founded july 5th 1994 that's 25 years ago alphabet or google formerly google founders uh, founded in september 4th 1998 so that's 21 years ago facebook Launched February 2004, 15 years ago. And here's a bonus fact. Did you know that Apple now has over 500 retail stores? Apple. 500. 
can you it's hard for me to imagine that a that a computer company a computer maker phone maker actually has stores that's not how these things used to be sold it's kind of interesting that uh, the metamorphosis from from the phones were just offered by the phone company the cell phones were offered by the phone company so you got to pick one cell phone based on you know whatever you wanted to pay for it to now yeah the phone company still sells them but got Apple stores and Microsoft stores. Kind of interesting. Let's go to Gene, Fed buying bonds. How you doing, Gene? Hey, Steve. Thanks for taking my call. You were talking earlier about quantitative easing and the Fed mm-hmm. buying bonds to drive down the rate. Is that right? Well, that's one of, that's one of the things that happens. They also lower okay. the overnight rate that drives down the rate. Okay, the, about the aspect of them buying bonds and contacting the banks that they're interested in buying bonds. They buy a huge amount of, they bought a huge amount of bonds. Where did, simple question, where do they get the money to buy all these bonds? Or is it that they never really pay for them? It's really just a, a bookkeeping exercise. That is interesting. They print it. <laughs> they print it. <laughs> yeah, they can print, remember, they can print whatever they want, right? I mean, they can print the money, and that's exactly what they do. They're printing the money. So what happens is the bonds and goes onto their balance sheet. Yeah, they print it. So the bonds go onto their balance sheet, and their balance sheet was coming off of $4 trillion, was down to, oh, I don't know, $3.7 trillion or so. Now they're buying them back. They're not saying it's QE, even though the action is QE, quantitative easing, but they are buying the bonds. I think there was about $60 billion last month worth. That's how much they bought. So, and eventually, when so, when the bonds mature and they're yes. given back the principal, what happens to the money they printed? Okay, they give it back to the federal government. The Fed gives it back. Remember, to the government. Federal Reserve is a separate a separate entity. It's not part of the. It's not part of quote unquote the federal government. It's overseen by the right. federal government, but not part of it. So that's how that works. They, they, they and if they let them. Pardon me? Yeah. The Give correctly. it back to the Treasury. Correct. Give it back to the Treasury. Exactly what they do. Now, many times that they don't want, because that action is squeezing, is the absolute reverse of QE, right? Because if they let the bond run off and they give the money back to the Treasury, they're actually tightening the money just by the fact that they're letting them run off. So they were doing that, okay? Letting them run off, mature. But then they, they then you know, the in the middle of last year the you, the, you had the uh, the the uh, the repo repo system uh, re, which are the short term money system in that we use to borrow money the the companies and banks borrow money overnight very short was drying up so the bank Federal Reserve had to do something about that and that's one of the then they started the QE in it now put money back in the bank's pocket. It's it's convoluted, convoluted, Gene. <laughs> it's not a simple thing to understand. Appreciate the call, though. It was a good question. Let's see if we can't fit another caller in. This came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Brian calling from Seattle, Washington. I love the show. I'm calling with a question about gold. I'm using the ETF IAU, and my motivation to get in was uh, just to view it as a hedge. It seems to go inversely with whatever the market does. But it's actually outperformed the market since I got in around 14. 
uh, or 13, now it's around 14. And I was wondering your take on that. Is that a safe hedge, or should I think about that investment differently? Thanks a lot, Steve. I look forward to hearing your reply. Well, I would never use the word safe, but I would say it's a very good hedge. It's a good hedge against the market. Uh, uh, we have in one of our programs a pretty decent size of a gold hedge. Um, because I do think gold will, ha- and I'm not a big gold person. I've said this before many times. I'm not a gold person. I don't buy them. I don't like that the facts they don't pay dividends. I don't like the fact that you can't grow, you know, their sales. It's just the price of gold, what everybody thinks it is. But I th- we were talking about it at length this morning when we had our, our, our monthly, um, investment, uh, meeting with, with my guys. And we were talking about, um, gold as a as as a and its return last year and what do we think of about it at this year? Should we get out of our hedge of gold? And we all decided unanimously to keep it because we think that there may be a little bit of inflation coming in, that the dollar will probably weaken a little bit. We had specific reasons and we batted around why we thought that. So because of the because of the conclusions that we think that we're going to see a little bit of inflation and we're going to see the do- the dollar weaken a little bit that you have to hold on to the hedge cuz it will give you a good return and reduce some of the volatility of the stock market. And the stock market we all know is overvalued. So, you know, take a look at UUP which is the dollar and if the dollar goes down, generally gold goes up. To take a look at UUP, and you can see that it's peaked, that UUP peaked back in late September, early October, and ever since then, it has been going on a downward trend. So, the the dollar gets weak, generally gold goes up. If inflation comes in, generally gold goes up. If there is fear out there, major fear like a war or something dramatic, Gold generally goes up. Those are the three things that drive it. I'm Steve Pisa, and you're listening to Invest Talk. I encourage you to consider subscribing to the KPP Premium Newsletter, written and distributed every Friday. In the newsletter, you'll get valuable information, such as the week's market analysis, portfolio management guidance, couple stock ideas. And each Friday on Invest Talk, I share highlights of that newsletter. So you can subscribe anytime you want at investtalk.com investtalk.com two t's in there and now i'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART looking at the calendar we are now less than two weeks away from steve peasley's dallas texas consultation trip that'll be on january 24th and then steve will travel to new york city for portfolio review consultations on january 28th and 29th you can learn more and register now at investtalk.com. 888.99 chart. We're going to go talk to Jay in San Jose. We're going to talk about Apple Computer. How are you doing, Jay? Good, good. Great show. Appreciate your help, okay? So, so Thank my, you. My question is your earlier comment, right? You were, uh, you were comparing Apple with, uh, you're saying it's bigger than some countries, right? So you are, yes. you're comparing what? GDP of the country? 
Yeah. So if you look at the GDP of a country, how big is that? Okay. For instance, I think Germany is like five, six trillion. Uh, the U.S. is 21. The uh, China's 15 point something trillion, maybe 16. But most other countries are one trillion or less. Most countries are. But, but I that's mean, not, pe- yeah, but that's not a fair comparison, right? Because GDP is well, GDP is the output of the country. If you should compare the country's value, which is you know all the assets the country owns, you know real estate, everything, right? I think because you are comparing the market value of Apple with output of the country, what's the value of the country? Right. That is true. And maybe it's not a true apples to apples comparison, but it just gives you a sense of the size of these companies. The size of Apple is bigger than the GDP of most countries. I'm just giving you a a scale of size. I'm not trying to, well, the actual value of Apple, if you sold it and how much money you would make versus you sold all the assets of a country, how much money. No, I'm just trying to give you a sense of size. That's all. Appreciate the call. Thanks, Jay. Let's go to Mike and Hercules. How you doing, Mike? Fine, Steve. How are you? Good. I'm good. Thank you for the call. Okay. Well, I, I had a question about a company called Replogen. Um, R like Robert, G like George, E like Edward, N like Nancy. Okay. What would you do with your question? Well, I, I, you know, I've owned the stock for quite a while. As you can see, uh, uh, it's been extremely well over the last few years. And just going to oh, get yes. your, your mm-hmm. thoughts if I should be trimming my position or if it's grown into a large one. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, this, com- this stock went from like in 2016 was like $26 a share. I mean, 2000, 2012 was as low as $3 a share. And here is at $99 a share now, $99.38 today. So what does it do? Replogen, R-G-E-N, develops consumable bioprocessing products for life science companies. I don't know what that means. (laughs) I don't know what, what's their product? Do you know? What what, what they do, they're like the uh, picks and shovels for all the uh, drug companies. They provide them with proteins and and they they, they process Uh. all of their drugs that are in the pipeline. They, they, um, okay. they participate. Okay. okay well, it, it, and micro, the market capitalization is $5 billion now. So it's a mid-cap stock. And the sales growth is outstanding. The most recent quarter sales grew at 40%. Before that, the quarter was 48%. Before that, it was 35 Before that, it was 25% the last four quarters. So the growth rate is, you know, even as it's getting bigger and sales are getting bigger, the, the 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 there's everything is growing continually. So as long as it stays that way, even though it's overpriced, you got to stay with it. You just stay with the stock. If you want to trim, I would draw a trend line. You know, a trend line on the upward sloping trend line. If it broke below that trend line, I would trim then, because I don't know where it's going. It looks like it's going to continue up to me. So I would stay with it. Wow, good for you. So you could obviously take profits, but you know, but you can also just hold on to it and just draw that trend line, and the trend line keeps going up. So if the stock keeps going up, you're just riding the ride as long as you can. Okay. And Mike, congratulations! By the way, that's a good. That was a very good buy for you. 
Very good. That doesn't happen that often, as we all know. And the symbol stop for the stock was R-G-E-N, everybody. Okay, let's keep going. The question came in early. This one came in early at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve or Justin. My name is Michael from the UK. I just wanted to know and get your thoughts on Vertex Pharmaceuticals, V-R-T-X. I'm thinking of getting in on a pullback. The financials seem quite healthy, and they seem to have a good financial future. But I just want to know what you think. And is there a other stock that you can recommend within the pharmaceutical space that you perhaps prefer? Thanks again. Love listening to your show and look forward to your answer on the podcast. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I'm sorry I can't give you other options as to what else you could buy because I'm not allowed to. I can answer questions. The SEC allows me to answer questions on there if you present a question. But if I start making recommendations, they get very upset. They have a rule called, you're supposed to know your client before you make recommendations. Well, obviously, I don't know anybody on the air. I don't, you know, I don't know who's listening. I don't know them. I just know their listeners. But I can ask, answer specific questions. So Vertex Pharmaceuticals develops and commercializes therapies for the treatment of cystic fibrosis. It's a $59 billion company, so it's a big company. They're going to earn $6.77. That's a 40% increase next year, or this year, I should say, from the from 2019, which is $4.82. I mean, that is dramatically increasing their profits dramatically. I mean, 2017 was $1.95, then $4.08, then $4.82, and now it's going to be $6.77. So, you're paying up for it. It's expensive, but the sales growth is in the low 20s or the low 30s for the last two years every quarter, quarter over quarter over quarter. That's why it's been doing so well. I actually think on a pullback, you might, yeah, it would might be a good place to buy because their, their story seems to be pretty strong. It seems to be that the earnings, what would that pullback be? Well, it could be as low as $190 from $229. That would be a big, pretty decent-sized pullback, but that's that's where there's support. It could also be just to 216 So there's support right there, too, 216 That's at 229 but that's not much of a pullback. But that's the two areas where I can see it that are pretty strong as far as a pullback on a chart. Okay. Okay, this is the best talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley, and we have one goal here, always the same goal. I know it's boring, but that goal is to help you achieve financial freedom. But that's the goal. We all want it. I want it. Everybody wants it. I've wanted it all my life. Right? Well, I'm there, but I still want more. I can't help it. I... <laughs> And then the work will continue right after this break to get to that goal. Your questions and uh, your questions you can call in right now. The number is 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, could a U.S.-China trade deal boost certain groups of exchange-traded funds? That story tomorrow. But now Steve Peasley is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Steve, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Justin in North Carolina. Just calling to follow up on something Steve said earlier this week. A caller called in about uh, starting a 529 plan and whether it would be better to open their own or contribute to a grandparent's account for their child. Steve recommended not opening an additional account, just contributing to the grandparent's account. 
I believe, in general, that's not the correct advice. Grandparents' contributions from 529 plans for the FAFSA are treated as income for the student, whereas uh, contributions from parent-owned 529 plans are not treated as income. And so for financial aid purposes, it's better that the money come from parent-owned plans. The caller should check on the tax advantage also about uh, whether or not there's a tax break for their state to contribute to the state-run uh, plan in their, their own. Some states offer income tax uh, deductions for, for those contributions. So I just wanted to follow up on that. Not an expert here, but I have started 529 plans, and I, I believe that's the right way to think about it. Thanks a lot. I appreciate all you guys do. Well, I appreciate that because I'm not an expert on 529 plans. I'm not. Um, as far as contributions put in, into the 529 plan, where they come from, um, I don't know I, if, if it comes from a grandparent or from a, from a parent. But what he's talking about is if the child wants to get assistance from the college or from banks or whatever if if it's a he's saying that if you if grandparents putting money in that's like income and they count that as income so they may not give you you have more income into coming into your family therefore they may not give you the loan whereas if it was your parents they won't count that as income so you know everything see the problem is you're dealing with not every state has a 529 plan, but every state has that does have them. They're all now none of them are exactly the same. None of them, and some states could buy a good, good state uh, tax breaks if they wanted to. I don't know if they do or if there are out there. I don't know. I'm a little bit more familiar with California since I'm in California. I know California is not the best. That's about as far as I can go. If I was going to get a 529 program for my child, of course, I'd do all the research that you need to do and to figure out, well, you know, which is the best place to go. Because you don't have to buy the 529 plan in the state that you're in. You could buy it in other states if you want to. But I appreciate the clarification. Thank you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Okay. The housing for 2020, this year, is it going to be a good market, bad market? Well, here's some positive things. Affordability should improve this year. Why? Because mortgage rates are lower. So the affordability is a little bit better. Prices will still increase. Why? Because this, there's a lack of supply. So, so there's a little supply problem here. So prices are probably going to increase. Not dramatically, but chances are good they'll increase. And you can tell by permits being up that they're going to try to c continue to put more and more supply in the pipeline, but it's not that easy. There will be more non-qualified mortgages. In other words, they're going to ease up on their standards. The banks are. There's standards so so that, you know, maybe you're not putting 20% down like it is a normal mortgage rate. I'm a little worried that they will do that, but I think they will do that. And the gig economy workers, these are the people like drivers for, you know, for Uber and, and freelance workers who sometimes don't get their total salaries counted because the banks won't doesn't allow it i think they're going to see the banks allowing it again that's an effort to remember the banks are competing and so what happens is they start to loosen up some of their standards 
and that will way they can make more loans. And if the Federal Reserve is buying loans, there's pushing them to loosen up their standards because they got cash on them books and they need to make the loans. You see, so so, so I think housing market's going to be fine this year. So I don't think we need to worry about that. Okay. Gee, are we out of time? We are out of time. I'm Steve Peasley, everybody, and this completes another Investop program. I can't believe that one time went by so fast. I will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, please tell your friends and family members that in just under two weeks now, I'll be in Dallas for Friday, January 24th, and then New York City for the 28th and 20, uh, 28th and uh, 29th of January. I'll be in New York City. So they could, maybe they could benefit from a no-cost portfolio review. Learn more and register soon at investtalk.com. Have a great night, everybody. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 